Our scripture reading for this morning, buckle in, it's a long one. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And I'll read it right now. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, continuing in our Sermon on the Mount series. It reads, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jay O'Brien, and I have the privileges of serving as the lead pastor here at Scarlet City. And at Scarlet City, our mission and vision is to be a people joining God's story of transformation and renewal uh, in order to see every man, woman, and child experience the healing and wholeness of the gospel. And speaking of healing and wholeness, last week we started uh, walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews chapter 5 through 7, where Jesus is clarifying and articulating what his kingdom is about. And what we see is that Jesus is He's saying how to, it's not just about being a part of his kingdom, but how to flourish, how to thrive in life. That life isn't just meant to be lived. That in walking with Jesus, we are meant to flourish and thrive. And that's why we began last week. And the term, Jesus begins this sermon with these nine statements. We call them Beatitudes. Uh, most of our English translations translate it as blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. But really the idea is flourishing or happy. Flourishing are the poor in spirit. Flourishing are those who mourn. Flourishing are those who, who are meek and so forth. Jesus is articulating how to thrive in life. And speaking of thriving and and uh, the tensions that life may bring in the midst of it. Uh, today is Mother Day, Mother's Day, and so think of motherhood. And on Mother's Day, um, I think it would be fitting to have a few tips. If you're a mother, tips on how to survive uh, or thrive. And I didn't come up with these. Uh, these are some moms sharing from personal experience. And so um, this was helpful for me in understanding a little bit what Megan goes through and what other moms might go through. So here's some tips for you. Uh, first parenting tip. Uh, when you're at a restaurant, if you beat the kids at tic-tac-toe on the kids' menu enough times, they'll stop asking you to play. <laughs> Very good. Uh, here's a parenting survival tip. Uh, tips, actually. Parenting survival tips for motherhood. One, secret chocolate. Two, wine. Three, emergency roll of toilet paper. That's helpful. Uh, here's a good parenting tip. I like this. Whenever you have to do a U-turn, always yell, I will turn this car around. <laughs> because you'll actually do it. So it'll put like, you know. Here's, a, here's another one. To establish dominance, occasionally mispronounce your kid's name and act surprised when they correct you. <laughs> Allie shared this. When your kid, this is really good. When your kid insists on playing trains, she put those in quote, playing trains, pretend to be Henry stuck in a tunnel. Then you don't have to move or do anything. <laughs> if you've ever watched Thomas the Train, you know that episode. You know, that's a great idea. Uh, here's one. Uh, fill a pinata with mushrooms, then sit back and watch your children learn a cruel but valuable lesson about life. 
Sarah gave this tip. She said, no good ever comes from a toddler sitting naked on the couch. (laughs) And last tip, never underestimate the power of a brightly colored band-aid to heal, no matter how severe or minor the boo-boo. Very true. Band-aids help a lot. You know, motherhood has these moments, right? These moments of we can laugh, but also struggle. There's tension in motherhood. There's also tension in Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a time where we honor and remember and are grateful for our moms, but it's not without uh, moments of, of struggle and pain. In fact, for many Attending church on a Sunday morning on Mother's Day specifically, for many it's, it, it may be one of their favorite days of the year, but for many they avoid this space on Mother's Day because it can open up wounds. Because motherhood and, and Mother's Day can remind us of not just the joys and what we're thankful for, but of the hurts. Uh, some of us have wounds on Mother's Day. It might be the death of our mom. Uh, my mom passed away eight, eight years ago, and I love her. I'm grateful for her. And Mother's Day was a time to celebrate Megan, and also we went to Outback Steakhouse yesterday to avoid all the Mother's Day crazy chaos today. And my mom loved my, uh, Outback Steakhouse, loved the Bloomin' Onion and, and Bang Bang Shrimp. And so it was fun to go there and remember that, remember her, but it's not without pain today. Uh, so for some, there are wounds, other wounds, the wounds of being able to, unable to have children, wounds of broken relationships, both as a child and as a mother, some of the wounds of, of children. Uh, for others, there are the wounds uh, uh, that a mother may have for a lost child, not just relationally, but through death. Mother's Day like motherhood has tension, has wounds. Motherhood has tension, Mother's Day has tension, and as we're reminded in our passage this morning, life has tension. Moments of celebration and moments of sorrow. And Jesus is teaching here on this sermon how to flourish, how to thrive. And we notice how He begins. He says, flourishing are the poor. In spirit, flourishing are those who mourn. Flourishing are the meek. Jesus does not begin a message on how to thrive with simplistic tips. He gets to the real heart of what life is about. And so this morning, let's press in. And let's consider our, our question this morning, how mourning can lead to flourishing what Jesus invites us into, how we can thrive in life, how mourning leads to flourishing. First, we're reminded that Jesus is inviting us into something. We are invited to be present in the world as it is. Jesus invites us to be present in the world. He does not, he frees us from inauthentic, ingenuine living. He says, flourishing are those who mourn. Jesus is saying that thriving does not happen apart from mourning. He's inviting us to live in the world as it is. That there are experiences in life 
and emotions that go with those experiences that are oftentimes painful and wounding. And in life, we, we often want to escape these experiences. We want to escape through work. Some of us want to ex- escape the pains and losses and wounds of life through substance abuse or pornography or video games and movies. Some of us want to escape the pains of life with religious pietism. I'm reminded of Brene Brown, an author. She put it well in describing church and escapism. She said when she returned to her faith, she viewed it as relating to pain like an epidural. Just take the pain away. If I can just escape in church and faith, then it can just remove the pain of my life. And what she found was that it's often like a midwife present with you in the midst of the pain. Jesus wants us to be present in this world, the good and the bad, the experiences and issues of life that we face. Uh, This past week, Megan and I, we had a a real gift, a free night, a night together at our house. It was really nice. And and on this evening, we're thinking, you know, what do we want to do? And so we uh, sat in front of the television. We don't watch a lot of TV, so we don't have like a show right now that we're watching and we turned on Netflix, and I have this experience. Every time I turn on Netflix, um, I, th- I don't know if it's from my upbringing where I just like to change the channels and never watch anything, but I go on Netflix, and I'm just like, man, nothing good here. There's no, no good movies. I mean, there's like, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of them, but none of them, none of them hit it. We didn't just go through all the list of movies, nothing looking interesting. And, and, and another thing I observe when you go through Netflix, a lot of the movies are actually fairly similar. There's like aliens or documentaries. And they're all dealing with like the same list of human issues, right? You have money issues. You have power issues, justice issues, lust and sexuality, anger, anxiety, relational conflict, abuse of religion. I mean, almost every movie on Netflix can be fit into one of these categories. And why? I mean, Because a good film speaks to the tensions and experiences and issues of life. I mean, no one's going to watch a movie or a film that doesn't relate on some level to what they're experiencing in life. Now, it's very interesting because here in this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is articulating the core of what his kingdom is about and how to flourish in life, you want to know some of the topics he presses into? Money, power, justice, Lust, anger, anxiety, relational conflict, abusive religion. Jesus is answering the questions that people are asking. It's tempting sometimes in Christian world and church world to be wrestling with the questions that people aren't really asking. To craft ourselves almost an escapist mindset where we argue and debate some of the things that really don't relate to life. And we can spend a lot of energy, not that to minimize these, but if they become the set, our central focus, end times issues, mode of baptism, if these become our central issues, we can miss real questions of life 
that Jesus presses into. Jesus calls us as his people to be present in the world as it is. Not to escape. Not to be wrestling with issues that people that are neighbors and friends are not wrestling with. Jesus reminds us here, he says, flourishing are those who mourn. He's reminding us that we live in a world of pain and struggle and mourning. Also, Jesus is freeing us. He's liberating us. We are free to be sad about sad things. He says, blessed, flourishing are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Some of us too quickly go to, for they shall be comforted. We struggle to live in the place of flourishing are those who mourn. Flourishing are those who mourn. Just like Jesus wants us to be present in the experiences of life, he wants us to be present in the emotions that those experiences can bring. We are to be present and honest about our emotions. You know, in watching a film, a film, a movie, is, it doesn't just speak to the issues of life, but it can itself be a means of emotional escapism. You can watch a movie on war and in a moment feel this sense of dread and pain. I remember the first time I watched Saving Private Ryan. I didn't know what I was signing up for. I put it on, we had a big screen. I was a kid, we put it on the big screen and I sat down with some nachos. It's like, hmm, I'm gonna enjoy a movie. And the opening scene changed my life. The emotions that one feels by being exposed, just seeing that. We know this in a love story. You watch a love story, and, and you never watch a love story and think, man, I'm so grateful for, for, for my significant other in life. I, they, they, gosh. No, you watch and you think, you know, why don't you act like this? We can escape our real-life relationships with these emotions that are crafted in this well-produced story. Jesus is saying, no, I'm not wanting you to have emotion. I'm not wanting you to have emotional escapism. I'm wanting you to be present in the world and the experiences that you have and bring your emotions there. Jesus honors the sadness of life. He calls us to not escape, but to be present in the emotions. Because life isn't just a move. There's not just problems we see in a film. There are things to mourn in life. We can mourn sin. In fact, in the context, Jesus here is most likely referring to Isaiah 61, this prophet in the Old Testament that talks about the poverty of God and God's people mourning their sin and rebellion against Him. We can grieve the injustices not just done to us, but that we perpetuate, mourning our sin. We can mourn wounds, the effects of sin and how they, they hurt us. We can mourn injustice. We can mourn death. This is a part of our story. And we should mourn it. And sometimes, though, and often in church communities, we, we don't feel permission to grieve. We don't create space to mourn. We try to fix things. We don't create space. 
And thus we perpetuate loneliness and isolation. When you're walking through a painful experience, it can often feel so lonely. So isolating. And the pain is just perpetuated. And friends, as we enter into this right here, it is so important. So important. The mental health issues and crisis of our communities. The increased suicide rates. What we're pressing into today, this is important and sacred space. What are some ways that we may be prone to leave community because of our pain? What leads us away? Uh, One reason we might flee and leave community because of our pain is we might feel judgment and shame. We might feel judged because of our pain. Sometimes people, they minimize our emotions. And, and, and they might do it thinking they're helping, but it, it doesn't help. It only builds shame. How do you respond to a friend who may share of their pain or struggle because of a breakup, a relational breakup in their life? How would you respond to someone who shares that with you? Share their struggling you know, their, their boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with them. You know, some of us, we might respond to that by mi- minimizing it. Like, oh, come on now. It's not that big a deal. I mean, one day you might have be, be married, and then, you know, you might, you'll have real relational pain. You know, kind of join me in adulthood when pain might get real. Some of us were prone to minimize the pain in people's life. We think we want to bring perspective. Well, if this happened, then you can feel pain. It just adds shame. Others of us might respond by trying to fix it or find a silver lining or give a a nice lesson about God. You know, well, God might be working through you here in this painful situation. I was hanging with a friend and we were both talking about our relationship with our parents and 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 he shared the experience of when he, he was younger and a girlfriend broke up with him and it was so traumatic And his mother was there and loving and listening. And his dad just said, you know, God's going to teach you a lesson in this. It's like, I'm sure he will. Are you prone to fix people's pain? Are you prone to minimize their pain? That will lead people to feel judged and shamed. Uh, Others of us, the reason we leave community when we're mourning, it's because we're afraid of being fake. Afraid of being fake. We can come to a Sunday morning gathering and there's the passing of the peace and people smiling and shaking hands and we just don't feel like we can do that. We don't feel within us the ability to just smile when life's really hard. Um, And it's much like, it's like, a spiritual cleaning up. You know, each Tuesday evening, uh, Megan and I, we host City Group at our home and, home. and we know that our City Group is getting to a good level where we can be honest when we notice our house is not as clean as it used to be when the City Group used to meet there. At first, you know, when there's people we're not super close to, we're getting to know each other, man, we're cleaning up that house. Megan wants to shine and look nice and vacuum and and our dog, Maya, her hair's everywhere, and so we'll pick it up because we want people to walk in and be impressed by the 
you know, our house. And they, and they think, wow, the O'Briens, they, their house is clean all the time. Secret, it's not. <laughs> but as you get to know someone, as you feel comfortable with someone, you don't feel the need to impress them as much. They can come into the home and, and it can, there can just be uh, toys lying around. Maya's hair floating through the air. Because, you know, we can be a little more honest. Uh, some of us are used to relating to others spiritually where we feel the need to always be cleaning up, always be putting on the smile, always wanting to appear that we have it all together. And what that kind of community does is it creates a community where we're all hiding because the honest reality of life is that every single person has pain. Every single person has wounds. And often they go unshared and unsaid. Many of us withdraw from community because we don't want to be fake. And so we create ways of relating that just perpetuate the masks. We don't want to be fake. We want to clean up. Others of us and maybe feel this. We withdraw from community when life is painful and hard because we don't want to be a burden. We don't want to be a burden. We think everyone is living their happy life, thriving, doing well. Just like the, the, the pastor says in the sermon, applying it. And we don't want to burden them with our messiness and pain. We don't want to be a burden in other people's Lives And so we prevent people from really entering into the story. Some of us are afraid of being honest about how we feel because we don't want to think that we're just some victim in life. We, what we are afraid in others, we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves, you know, don't, it's not a big deal. Other people have it worse. Don't share. We're afraid of being a burden. And Jesus, he enters in to this, to these stories, to these places, and he brings freedom. He says, no, I command you to be sad about sad things. It is wrong when we minimize, when we feel shame. It is wrong when we pretend that we have it all together. It is wrong when we prevent someone from carrying the load with us because we don't want to be a burden. He gives us permission to be sad. It is wrong when we smile and don't honor the pains of our story. It is to be expected that we would be sad about sad things. Jesus liberates us. He's freeing us. Do you see? He's wanting us to be human beings who he created us to be. People that experience life and have emotions. And when we cut off our emotions from what we experience, we are not honoring who he has created us to be. It's good to be sad about sad things. How do we handle the pain and sorrows of life? We're tempted to escape. Jesus wants us to be present. We're tempted to minimize the pain. Jesus invites us to mourn. And lastly, we are comforted through the healing work of Jesus. In the text, he says, flourishing are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
just like some of us here, some of us, when we read it, we minimize, flourishing are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Do you hear that, church? They shall be comforted. Some of us camp there. Others of us do the opposite. Flourishing are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Some of us, we've experienced pain in our story, and so we see everything only through that lens. We do not see the comfort that Jesus can bring, and so we have a perpetual state. Perpetual state of mourning. We become cynical. We don't trust joy and happiness. We've experienced pain sometimes in our stories from our mothers and fathers, and so every relationship is just a source of pain. We become jaded. It's in this life that Jesus says, they shall be comforted. Not a hypothetical. Not a, if the formula's done right. He says, flourishing are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And who does he have in mind as the comforter? Himself. Jesus is saying, your mourning brought to him will one day lead to comforting. This is what his kingdom is about. And he invites us to flourish in this life today in light of his power and work. Do you ever have the temptation when there's something good in your life to immediately think it's going to get bad? Sometimes I'll have that. If I'm sharing, if something good happened, something good in the week, you know, yeah, it's been a good week. I've actually felt a sense of peace. Oh, it's like I immediately think, whoa, some... but you know, ask me tomorrow and I'm sure I'm going to be complaining about something. You get the raise at work. Oh, wow. Praise God. I'm sure tomorrow... I'm sure next quarter I'll be fired. Like we feel this fear because when something good happens, we're just preparing ourselves, protecting ourselves from it going wrong. Almost like we're afraid to hope, afraid to flourish, afraid of it being taken away. And I think it's because we live in the tension, as we talked about in the beginning, the tension of life and death. And we see where our story is going. One day we will die. One day we will mourn. One day others will mourn us. And so to protect ourselves and our emotions, we just get afraid. And we look at every good thing through the lens of it one day being taken away. And so we live, we're often hopeless. How will it get better? When will it get better? And what Jesus is doing here, he's inviting us to see that one day it won't be just taken away. One day it will be fully given. And imagine if we looked at our life in the reverse. That there's pain now, but one day Jesus will bring comfort. There's loneliness now, but one day I will fully belong. There are wounds now, but one day Jesus is bringing full healing. Jesus wants us to see and live life through the lens of his finished work. 
He honors the pain. He calls us to be present in the world as it is. And to not just live in that world, but to feel that world. But he says, have hope. Because Jesus is the king who entered into the world as it was. He didn't just enter in, he felt the world as it was. He grieved the pains in the world as it was. And he worked. On the cross and resurrection. So that in the pains of life, in the emotions and struggles and confusion and doubts and isolation, we can look to the one in whose overcoming death we can experience ultimate life. You know, each story and movie speaks to the human story. And all of them, like we said, they speak to the, the issues that we have, the angers, the injustices, the relational struggles. And they remind us that we're spiritual beings longing for ultimate deliverance. Jesus is the one. The one in whom our humanity can be restored today. And we can live in the hope of the future eternal comfort that he's bringing. How are you relating to the pain and issues in life? Are you trying to escape? Are you minimizing? Are you just dominated by it? Jesus wants you to thrive, to be present, to feel, and to hope. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that your kingdom establishes a community where we can mourn. That we can be sad about sad things. Thank you for not just being some magician who tries to take us out of the world as it is. Thank you for giving us permission to grieve. Thank you for being a God who grieves. Give us the courage to enter into your world. Give us the courage to feel. Give us the courage to hope. Lord, I pray that this church can be a safe place where we can thrive, where we can flourish, where we don't use your word to escape, but we use your word to enter in, to press in to hard things. And Lord, we thank you that you are a healing God, a God who brings wholeness. And God, so we ask for that. We ask for that. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.